Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Welcome to episode 110. Oh, yeah. And today we are talking about Jim and John's biggest concerns for the United States of America. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. These things that, that uh, we actually are, we are seriously concerned about. Yeah, we've, we view as, what do you say, existential threats? That's a great, that's a great uh language use of modern use of that term um what what how would you define an existential threat what does that mean existential so, threat to me that there are threats that are either just degrading in quality to the country yeah. or eventually it's just not a very great place to be in and uh-huh. there's threats to the existence of the country existential it just does, it's just not there anymore man i do not know that these would lead to the ex- extinction of america or the end of america but, gotcha. but certainly uh, a massive downgrade in quality of life quality of country and perhaps cease to exist those now we haven't shared notes so yeah this will be we'll be sharing to each other as well yeah. it'll be good so um yeah so we'll see how existential they are let's evaluate that at the end yeah okay sounds good now um before we do this uh i want to say that next week episode 111 will actually be recorded from estes park colorado where we will be having a lad family reunion of our immediate family and all of our uh, spouses and siblings. And um, we will be gathering for Sue's birthday and a big summer uh, trip together. So we're actually going to record from there for episode 111. And our special guest will be your brother. Yeah. Tim Ladd. The and one he, and only. He's been excited to be a guest. We have no idea what we're going to talk about. And, We'll see how it goes. Yeah. If we could talk to Bethany about just being a woman, we could talk to him about just being a, just being a man, maybe. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll find something. Yeah. We'll think of something. Yeah. Well, he's got lots of opinions. There will be no <laughs> shortage of opinions. True. All right. So before we get going on this one, uh, John, it's story time or joke time. What do you got for us? A story, as always. We had a little debate before recording on whether or not I had told this before. 111 episodes, cut us some slack. You know, you know. 110. Who knows? We haven't 110, done a, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, sorry. Then he, no, we were talking about the one. Yeah. So uh, you might be forgiven for this next week on episode 111, <laughs> but for 110, you no should mercy, remember. no yeah. mercy for 110. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to tell this one, and then a second mini story from the same class. In case you had already told this, story. exactly. Just a little, a little, a little. <clears throat> for the me, record, please. I do not believe John has told you this story, but he believes he might have. So here we go. It was in my notes as one of the stories I could tell. So this is uh, one of my only. Uh, possible panic attacks. I mean, it's hard for me to look back on them objectively, but I think if I, this is probably as close as I got in some kind of anxiety panic attack. Uh, it's definitely not something I would say is a chronic battle of mine, anxiety or, or panicking. or. Uh, but I had a, I was taking a poetry class, a or uh, not a writing poetry <laughs> class. This is a, it's T.S. Eliot and the Moderns. I've, told, I've talked about it a few times. It's the study of the modern movement of poetry. So we were never asked to actually... You, you're a punk. <laughs> you're a, a jock wearing your Letterman jacket, throwing a football while I'm learning uh, in the buildings. And I am jealous. I, I do. I love hearing you teach me what you learned rather than me going there and learning. <laughs> well, you love learning, too. I do love learning. And uh, when I came back and was all fired up about T.S. Eliot, and I, I, I read you some oh, four wonderful, quartets. Wonderful. You were all about it. Oh, yeah. I read the whole book. 
Um, so anyway, uh, this class is about the modern movement, and we had to, as part of our final, uh, memorize, I believe it was 50 lines of poetry. could be from different poems. You can mix and match, but, which I ended up doing. Because I, I didn't like one continuous 50 enough to memorize it. So I had a little bit from the four quartets, uh, a stanza from uh, uh, some yeats, kind of all over the place. And uh, so gets to the night before, and if you haven't learned this by now, I've got some some areas to improve. <laughs> night before, I crack open these books. I'm like, all right, what, which line, which fifty lines am I going to? You hadn't even chosen the fifty yet, not yet. And um, to be honest, I had my my skills of memorization had been. Um, I was overconfident in them, probably from other other <laughs> encounters similar to this of presentations that I'd written really hastily. That is like amazing. That. And to think so I, it would never occur to me that I could memorize. 50 lines of poetry overnight. Well, that's probably because you have a better sense of your abilities than I did at that time. <laughs> now, I wouldn't say so either for myself. But so uh, I pick some poems, and uh, and so I'm going over them, and, it, and I'm up late, and it's becoming more clear to me that I might be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so I, I'm going at it, and I think, you know, like late in the night, I'm like, we're, we're to a point now where maybe I should. Things I'll, might not be going my way. Well, this- and, and I should resume in the morning. <laughs> I'll come back in the morning. It'll come back to me. Yeah, as it's I, diminishing returns at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to get more tired. It's going to yeah. get worse. So in the morning, I wake up. It's finals week, so I'm free to to go. And I go to a Starbucks right down the road from Northwest Campus and uh, get a big coffee. There's all kinds of students there cramming for finals. And uh, I'm I'm just I'm facing the books, trying to memorize the poems. And uh, and I just start. It, it starts hitting me that I might be in real trouble because if you you you. <laughs> Like bomb an assignment. That's between you and the teacher, right? right. You, the teacher, and God. That's right. all who know you bomb that assignment. Unless you just want to go share it around. This is a presentation. You, you bomb here. Everybody it's a, watches. A public failing. Yeah. Small class, admittedly, probably at most eighteen to twenty kids in there. So not huge. It's not. It could have been worse. But with a subject like modern poetry, I'm surprised it wasn't. You <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of jokes today. <laughs> Uh, well, to be honest, the professor of this was in high demand. He's he was a student very popular, favorite, very yeah. popular. Uh, he uh, was awesome. He'd play guitar in front of the the class. He was what I would call the tallest hobbit I've ever met. <laughs> he's just loved music and laughs and and writing. Was and he barefooted all the time? No, but he had a really ugly beard that was just his chin. Ooh. He would shave all of his face, and then he wouldn't. He never explained it to anybody until one day he shaved it. And it turned out that he had lost a bet. He had to have that for a year. Oh, wow. And he couldn't tell anybody why as part of the bet. Oh, well, that's so, pretty cool. Yeah. So I like a, him already. I know. He's a man of his word. Uh, really, really great guy. So um, so then there's that thing I don't want to you know, disappoint this Let guy. him down. He, yeah. yeah. So I uh, eventually drive back up to campus, go outside the class. I'm sitting there for like an hour before class. And I'm just, more, as time more time goes on, I'm just freaking out. And so uh, finally, I get to the point where... I've got it kind of down, but it's it's really rough. And so I go in and I'm sitting there. And the reason I think this might have been some kind of anxiety attack is because then I, I start having like irrational thoughts of flight of, oh, I could just leave. <laughs> I could just go. I could I could just get up and walk out. Are you having any physiological responses at this point? You know, just, breathing differently or shaking or trembling or anything? Yeah, really uh, shaky. My hands are cold and I'm, I'm like really shallow breath kind of thing. Yeah. And uh and so I'm like, I could, I could go say I got sick. I could go say I like had to throw up or something. Yeah. 
And if I don't do that, if you're going to use an excuse like that, I always use explosive diarrhea. Nobody wants to talk about it. Well, exactly. But then if you even say that, that's like, that's a statement. <laughs> then I mean, what else is there to say? What are they going to ask you? What's the color? You know, right, it's, it's, right. You've already laid it all out. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I forget how we decided who goes first, but I think he called on people. So, um, so the class, as you guessed, the, the, the people who attended such a class are not the people who are thrilled to go out and speak in front of people. And so I'm not alone in being really uncomfortable. It's not a, it's not a gathering of extroverts. Exactly. So, uh, the people in front of me, and it is primarily women in that class. I think I was one of maybe one other guy in the class. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, they first, first woman up says, can I present from the back of the classroom so that people don't have to look at me? And that starts a, he says yes to that. Cause he's a very, he's a nice guy. And then everyone's doing that. Maybe one or two people presented from the front of the classroom. And so, of course, of course, I take advantage of that. I, I go to the back as well. And he will, uh, if you're stuck, he'll read you a line because you tell him what poems you're Because you submitted your page or whatever. Yeah, I think as you go back, he asks, what will you be reading? And mm-hmm. I said, what stands of what poems, uh, what page of four quartets? And uh, so he had that. And then he would uh, read you a line if you asked for it. So I'm stuttering. Lots of pauses while I try to figure stuff up, uh, stuff out. And I have to ask for a line, I think, two or three times. And this, you know, I graduated now three years ago. So it's 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 a little further away. Has but, it only been three years? Well, to me, it feels like that's a lot. It feels like it happened a month ago sometimes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. but uh, And it was pretty rough, but I got through it. And then I passed the class. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> My only other story from that class, which... Uh, I think back on fondly only because the professor laughed really hard. So I'm walking in. I'm a little late and I have this messenger bag. And again, this story is so that you'll forgive me if you, if you've already heard that long winded story, I just told you I'm walking, I have a messenger bag and I'm walking in and there are those desks that have a writing surface on a hinge connected mm-hmm. to the seat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it's up when you want to get out, you lift up the writing surface. It goes vertical. And when you sit down, you lower it over your waist, kind of like a roller coaster. Seat. Yeah. And uh, so I'm walking my, uh, I go to sit down, my messenger bag latches onto a seat behind me, starts pulling that thing over. <laughs> so I go to grab that one and it starts like flopping another desk over next to me that my, my bag caught when I swiveled. So I'm doing like this kind of two, two arms, my legs sticking out to catch the third desk and I get them all down and I slam down the writing desk and I was already like five minutes late. So they mm. were in the middle of something when yeah. it happened. So you're interrupting and everything. Then, yeah. And then I, I, so I shut it all down. I just sit there and I stare at the you know, stare forward and the professor was just dying laughing. And I think of it, kind of, I wasn't that, I was as near as mortified there as I was in the presentation. That was kind of, that was fine. To me, that was a funny joke. The right. other one's not a funny joke. That's so funny. But uh, I loved the class. And uh, honestly, my uh, other work in that class, my my bigger regrets in school is that I didn't, is they come from college, not so much high school, where I feel like I really let down a lot of professors with my, uh, if you were to look at my work, you would say, this guy doesn't really care very much. Mm. And, uh, that's more of the stuff that really bothers me about my, my college experience. But, yeah. um, I learned a lot and, uh, it is what it is. There you go. Well, let's dive into our conversation today, John. We're going to talk about things that are legitimate concerns we have for our country. Yeah. Um, as an example, <clears throat> I had read, uh, several months ago that Elon Musk, one of his concerns, uh, some people have concerns that, um, for example, that the elite wealthy is, uh, getting wealthier and the middle class is disappearing. And mm-hmm. what's this economic disparity going to do? 
I, I don't know. So people have concerns. Sure. And one of his is that um, tech companies and in particular social media type companies uh, control so much of the opinion and formation and movement of American thought. And though that is controlled by five companies. Yeah. And he said such powerful control in the hands of so few terrifies him. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. What kind of things concern you? That was one of his. So we're going to kind of just spitball here. I've got three. You've got two. For sure. And so uh, I'll lead us off. <clears throat> then you go. Then I'll go. Then we'll take our little break. Then you go and I go and we'll wrap it up. Yeah, sounds good. So I encourage you who are listening to go ahead and think about your big concern for our country. And I would love <clears throat> to go ahead and tell you we'd like to hear from you if you share our concerns or if you think we're stupid or if you <laughs> if you think there's way bigger fish to fry than the ones we're worried about. Uh, we think it's a fascinating conversation. And one, I, at least on one of mine, and I think really all three, I've been thinking about, so what can we do about that? Mm. So I will be asking you, John, is there anything you think we can do about the one, these concerns you have? Yeah. So let's get started. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. I Mine are not in order of importance. I was going to ask that. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, I mean, I mean, you wrote them down in a specific order, did you? Or? I did. Um, but I think about all of them equally. Okay. So, uh, in in other words, they all get equal amount of thought time for me, which is a lot lately. Gotcha. So these three keep going around in my head a lot. I think about them often. But number one is not necessarily what you view as the biggest. Exactly. Concern. And but I do think they're all three huge, and I think they're all three going to have uh, impact on the um, playing out of America's future. Sure. Okay. So my first one is the idea of totalitarianism. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I think I might have mentioned this in one of our earlier conversations, but authoritarianism is when the powers that be control the population by saying, think what we think, uh, say what we want you to say, or else we will beat you, imprison you, or perhaps kill you. Yeah. And so they authoritarianly force you to toe the company line. This is something more similar to like China or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totalitarianism is different and it is the idea that say what we want you to say, believe what we want you to believe, get in line with the modern thought, or we will discredit you. We will make it hard for you to get a job. We will make you a social disgrace. We will affect your lives in all kinds of ways so that you will shut your mouth. Yeah. Now, um, this is a huge concern for me. For example, this is just one tiny example and there are lots of them. Back in, even when Trump won his first, his, the first election he was in, mm-hmm. uh, you could not, people did not want to admit who voted for him. <clears throat> That's why the polls were so wrong. So people were afraid to say out loud, I voted for Donald Trump. Sure. Apparently 72 million more people did uh, the second time. Right. But people still won't talk about it. There's opinions you might have about how you feel about um, uh, critical race theory or how you feel about the economy or how you, whatever. Um, and people are more and more nervous to express their thoughts if they hold thoughts that are not uh, endorsed. Right. Um, this concerns me. Yeah. This was a big thing for me at the, at the um, end of the last election cycle. So around the inauguration time. 
there was a, uh, in fact, it might've been around the, um, the January 6th, um, assault on the Capitol or mm-hmm. the wording, one of the, part of the problem See, even, is the, exactly. even, even say, calling it that you've put yourself in a category. Well, the, 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 now the media word for that is the insurrection, yep. or if you called it a protest or if you called it a, a riot or an assault, all these things have meaning. Yep. But that event, uh, there was a major league baseball player, retired major league baseball player who, uh, was total gung ho about it, pro Trump, you know, yada, yada, tweeting about it. And he, his insurance company dropped him. Mm-hmm. So beyond freedom of speech, his actual health coverage provider dropped him for what he tweeted about. Isn't that amazing? That to me was like, whoa, now we're getting into some 1984 kind of, you know, stuff. Yeah. And and he's still a public figure, but that doesn't mean, you know, wanting to cancel out history and say we're not even allowed to talk about this history. Yeah. Uh, those are all concerns because freedom of speech is such a sacred uh, principle. And it, the reason it's so important is because um, the freedom of expression is one of the most fundamental freedoms of all. And it forces us to uh, wrestle with each other, to to have uh uh, divergence of thought and not become monochromatic or controlled. Well, and it keeps, um, it keeps a balance of power. Yeah. If you have people who can't even express their thought, then you have a oppression. You have a, a group at the mm-hmm. top who is now even more so in control Yeah. because they can even, you know, the, or the, this sounds very much kind of conspiracy when I say them, when mm-hmm. I, I use the capital T them. Right. But I mean more that, uh, that the populace is not, um, I don't know what the word you would use is you just lose power there. The power, the power balance shifts when suddenly you cannot say certain things anymore. And here's the deal. It's the reason I'm concerned about it is it flows both ways. Mm-hmm. So uh, conservatives right now would say, if you have conservative views, you're being canceled. And this movement is to, is to push you into not saying what you believe. But the truth also was when Trump was in the white house, all those who worked for him, who held uh, offices were terrified to say anything uh, not company line for him because they'd be fired or uh, publicly disparaged. Well, and in the uh, a woman was just forced out of the GOP for saying that she was not going to let this become the Trump party or she was right, not the party know, of Trump. Exactly. And they completely removed her from her position for yeah. saying that. So yeah. it does go both ways. It does. And it, because this is human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have really, you know, in the extreme ends of either, of any uh, avenue of thought, this gets exaggerated. Yeah. Okay. That's mine. What's your first one? Uh, my first one is, uh, what I would call it just blanket extremism. So the way I kind of view it, I'm young. This, uh, the first Trump election was the first one I could vote in. And, uh, really, you know, the Obama Romney election, everyone knew how that was going to go. It wasn't really, a, I was, I was in high school at that point. So I knew more what was going on, but it wasn't a, it was a no contest. Yeah. It wasn't contentious the way this is yeah. or was. And so uh, the first, uh, um, the 2016 election was the first one that I could vote in. And then, uh, so this is really all I've known as a engaged adult um, citizen of America. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that there was like a, some kind of pendulum, right? Some kind of metronome that's just going. Ding, 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 ding. I think that would be typically true. Yeah. And then some like rock from outer space just smacked into it. And now it's going <laughs> zhoosh, zhoosh, completely from f- flying from one end to the other end. Yeah. And all kinds of, all kinds of lessons were learned in the past couple of years. What can a politician say? What can't they say? Those rules were co- totally rewritten. Mm-hmm. Now we know 
we can say nearly anything. Mm-hmm. And even because we talk about cancel cancel culture on the right side, the 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 conservative side, the political right, uh, there's a certain protection that hey, we can say some pretty out there stuff, and our our guys will have our back. Mm-hmm. So they, they you can't really get canceled if you're in the conservative right because you have a community. And on the left, they can say some pretty crazy stuff because the the conservative left will have their backs, and it just the changed. radical left. You mean? Not oh, oh, sorry, political left. Yeah. Is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah not of, of course not political left. So the uh, the rules changed, and now all kinds of stuff is fair game. And so when you like you said that number is so huge to me that seventy two and change million people that voted for Donald Trump verbally, if you were to say you support Donald Trump and you're a public figure. That's grounds for close to cancellation on the spot. Mm-hmm. But you have 72 million, almost half the country, right. who really wrote them down on their ballot or circled, you know, filled right. in the dot. So uh, people who view him as a modern day Hitler mm-hmm. and people who don't. So you have the 72, I would, I would rough, you got to say, I don't know, two thirds or a half, two thirds of the people who voted for Trump are pretty moderate, you'd have to say, right? I would imagine that's true. And again, maybe more so for, for Biden, maybe mm-hmm. up to 75% of Biden are, is pretty moderate. Mm-hmm. And he was chosen as the Democratic candidate because he's a moderate. Because he could be more moderate. Exactly. Yeah. But even uh, his rhetoric and the pressure on the, the political left to be more extreme. To more radicalize him. Exactly. Yeah. all It's just ripping and, and pulling to, to the extremes. And I know that's always been, that pressure's always been there. But to me, it seems ramped up like crazy. And, and the so, fascinating, th- go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, just that when we talk about existential threats versus uh, mm-hmm. quality of life threats, yeah. this to me doesn't seem existential. This seems pretty, uh, uh, what's the term, sustainable. You know, it, it would just lead to a pretty dramatic decline in uh, quality of life and what you, you know, how you can and can't express yourself as a maybe more moderate person. It 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 sucks. So I'm I'm not confused. I'm not worried that necessarily it would cause something like a civil war. I think it's just miserable. I think it's awful. See, I think it. I think where can that go? Right. Sure. And I don't see any place good it can go. And what's fascinating to me is I used to think, well, you got fifteen percent radical right, fifteen percent radical left, and you have seventy percent of the country that's basically uh, willing to negotiate. Yeah. And we used to call them the frustrated majority. Totally. And somehow, because of the uh, because of the totalitarian threat of your ability to speak freely without threat of repercussion, that that frustrated majority has gone dark. Yeah. And so now the extremists, these minority in number, are controlling the conversation. Exactly. And it's terrifying to me. And this, you know, because you, you had those figures already, this has been the understanding of America for a very long time. But now it seems because you would say, oh, it's a vocal minority. That's like that's the, the right. That's the, the catchphrase. Yeah. And you just got to wonder sometimes how vocal can they get before you start thinking, are they really the minority of people that really, really think this um, extremely about certain topics? And uh yeah, and it is scary. Maybe I don't. I feel like when I when I said it, I didn't view it as existential. It downplayed. It. I don't. I take it very seriously. It's very frightening to me. Sure. Um, you just don't know if it could result in the end of our country. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's my that's my first one. And similar to you, they are not um, not ranked in uh, yeah. severity. Good. All right. My next one is 
I'm just calling it the demographic disruptions of our country during this season we would call the COVID season. Um, you know, I would say 18 to 24 months has been the rapid acceleration of some patterns that were already in place. Sure. But now as repercussions, there are some disruptions that are taking place. And I don't know what the combined collision of these changes, how it's all going to shake out at the end. Mm-hmm. For example, migration patterns. Uh, people are now choosing to relocate their lives based on their political stance. And so you're going to have this uh, political segregation of America. By by geographic by lines. Ge- by geographic lines. And yeah. so um, these migration patterns are fascinating to me. Why people are moving, why they're making a choice to move, the move toward rural instead of urban. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot going on there. That's pretty fascinating. It's disruptive. Um, the free money and um, the unemployment benefits and all this stuff that was given to help us get through COVID have now created a demotivated workforce. And you have, uh, you know, people who are choosing career paths. Uh, I heard somebody quote a stat today. I have no idea if they were right. But the quote I heard was that 28% of workers are going to remain in their current jobs um, through what they would call the COVID pandemic cycle. So the implication being that, that 72 percent of people are going to change jobs. Yeah. And um, I don't have any knowledge if that's accurate or not, but the point is a lot of people are reevaluating their career choices, reevaluating the way they work, why they work, where they work, what they want from work. Uh, this big disruption all at one time of yeah. the way people view work and want to participate in work. And then uh, again, this, what, where is this political segregation going to take us as people search for blue States or red States? And um, those are going to go away. They're going to be more purple States. Yeah. And um, this radic- this extreme desire Maybe people don't even want a purple state. Well, and it seems to me, if I were to think about it in a, in the sense of like a in like a model, the exodus or the the migration would actually create much less purple states. So if you have like a state like Washington that's pretty split across the mountains, mm-hmm. and all those people go to Idaho, mm-hmm. now you have a firmly blue state and a firmly red state. Except when you talk to people who are really red. Mm-hmm. They're not trusting Idaho anymore because so many red Californians are going there. And a red Californian is not as red as I want it to be. That's pretty funny. So they believe that the redness of of Idaho is going to be diluted by California red. And you know what? Back to our um, electoral college episode. That's yeah. the exact power of a two-party system. That's how it should work anyway. Is yes. that there'd be enough infighting in one to lower the extremist rates. Yeah. And it doesn't it's, it doesn't seem to be working like that very much right now. Well, but. and I, I realized I do have a beef with our founding fathers because they should have designed the Electoral College to also be the way states decide things. If you had Electoral College processes at every state, you wouldn't have red and blue states. And so they would be equally represented because of the Electoral College system. So counties could have equal voices, not where like in our state where King County gets to really govern the whole state our our state politics could care about nothing but king county and they could stay in office yeah but if we had electoral college at the state level that would not be true yeah 
this is frightening to me. And I thought uh, on the migration, I thought that it was, um, I didn't know it was going to be, I thought it was people were going to talk, right? When Trump was about to get in office and it was like, I'm going to Canada. No one went to Canada. <laughs> and I thought the same thing here. They really did say, if he gets elected, I'm leaving the country. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but this time, anecdotally, I don't know the numbers, but all around me, I see people, well, we're going to Arizona. Well, we're going to Texas. Well, you know, and it, uh, it's crazy to me to think that it was the problem is severe enough. The tension is severe enough that people actually are uprooting their lives and going. Yeah. Um, it seems, uh, it must be more powerful of a feeling than I thought it was, I guess. It is. And you add in things like the sex ed bill for our state. Um, and it starts to, it starts to be a snowball effect. Yeah. But part of that is also the snowball effect of, uh, radical solutions to division and disunity. Mm. So we yearn, I know emotionally, I think we yearn to be in a harmonious community where these are my people. They think like I think yeah. and they feel like I feel a sense of like a tribe. Kind yes. Of. And yeah. that, that has been, that has been disrupted. Yeah. Okay. Give us number. Uh, no, oh no, we're going to yeah, do our break. Let's, let's do our, our break. You got a, uh, uh, what do you got for us? A show and tell. I do. I have uh, a show and tell. It's not a show and tell. It's actually a, a kind of a story about a, a, a thing I discovered today that I really like. Okay. So, um, Playing, playing fast and loose with the rules, but I'll allow it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Russian judge says three. Um, so I'm um, on the day we're recording this, very hot day. Yeah. Uh, 87, 87, 88 degrees, something yeah. like that. I'll tell you right now, though, it's perfect. As the sun sets. In the evening, yeah. yes. So I hop in my truck to come home from work, and it's hot, man. And my truck's been sitting out in the sun, black leather seats. It's hot. Um, and I'm driving home, you know, my AC kicks on pretty quick and it's a great air conditioner. So I'm feeling pretty good. I notice about five minutes into my drive home that it's kind of cool on my seat. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a weird sensation. What is that? You feel like you have a wet seat or something it's, like that? It's, it's different than that. It was feel like, uh, it felt like maybe an, I'm sitting on an ice pack or something. Sure. And I look down, and my light is on for my air-conditioned seat, which I have never used before. Wow. And uh, my uh, auto environmental zone uh, kicked on and turned that on uh, as a gift. It said, fire all, fire all cans. Yeah, yeah. We cool, cool this man down. And I was going to love this. I was like, what? This is, this is first of all, it felt a little uh, inappropriate. Sure. Uh, but then I found myself loving it. And uh, I think everybody should have air-conditioned seats. This thing was amazing. Man, I, it makes me wonder. So that's my show and tell is air-conditioned air seats. Air-conditioned seats. And for the record, I have a 2015 Ram 1500 truck. Uh, I got a great deal on it. This is my. I'm, I'm in my first year of ownership with it. I'd never had a summer with it yet. So I knew it had cooled seats, but I had not ever experienced a cooled seat in my life. I don't know if I ever want to go back. This is pretty wonderful. Man, I... If I lived in Arizona or Texas or somewhere, well, yeah. that'd be essential equipment. I count myself blessed that I can live in a state where my AC's been broken for almost two years now, <laughs> and I've been okay. Yeah. The heat works, and uh, but this summer I might... Uh, You're going to be in trouble. I might be in trouble. The only problem mainly is that when I step out of the car, I smell like outside and exhaust a little bit. And it's not worth it, John. You've got plenty of money and savings. Just fix the dang thing. Maybe. 
All right, here's our commercial break. We'll be right back. Awesome. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for listening through our little commercial there. And again, we would just uh, request that you reach out to us. We uh, appreciate that. Uh, Jimandjohn.com. No H in John is where you can find most of our stuff. We'll give you more of a spiel at the end. But uh, back into our conversation. Is it my turn? Yep. It's your turn. And we are grateful for our patrons and for our listeners. It's an honor. It is not. All right, John, you're up. Okay, so my uh, second concern number two. Deep concern number two. And actually, I said they weren't in cascading order. They actually are. This is what I would call an existential threat. And uh, so this is a bigger threat than the first one. Yeah, I would. And for me, this isn't. uh, uh, Maybe a broader term would be called cataclysm. This is. This is really for me. It is um, environment change, uh, climate change. And then talk about power of words. I'm already in a camp on a lot of people's books. I'm already, you know. Oh, because you are concerned about yes, in, climate change. About climate change, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, you can imagine me with dreadlocks and hugging a tree out. In well, the, and the taking a poetry class in college. Very manly poetry <laughs> class. You want to say Walt Whitman some kind of wuss? I dare you. I dare you to. He's dead. He can't hurt me. That's true. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, <laughs> uh, climate change and then cataclysm by way of climate change. So uh, more. Now, what does cataclysm mean? What does that word mean? Just like a terrible, terrible disaster. So it could be natural or not. A nuclear bomb would be a cataclysm, okay. but also a great so earthquake. massive flooding, earthquakes, exactly. something like that. Some, some, mm-hmm. some, and you think it would be as a result of climate change. But yeah. And you, I mean, and I'm not saying, you know, I believe it's man-made. I've got no qualms if you don't. I just think it's happening. And uh, so, for me, when I say cataclysm, I mean, like you said, great floods, fires, earthquakes, and huge disruptions to supply chains. We've seen huge disruptions to our supply chains with no other factors that are natural, that are... Um, with no natural disaster. Exactly. No no cataclysm, yeah. no disaster. Suddenly, you can't even get a cookie at Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Uh, disaster is a way better word. I shouldn't have even started with cataclysm. That's a weird word. Yeah. Disaster. Okay. Uh, but I'm, I mean primarily natural ones. So, uh, and for me, what they would call acts of God in the insurance industry. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think, you know, in the secular scientific world of this, they have this date where they say, well, if we can turn things around by this date, we can save the world. You know, the world will still be salvageable if we can turn all the environmental stuff around by this date. And they bump that out by about 15, 20 years, every 15, 20 years or so, you know. So what does that mean to you? To me, 
Well, so I ha- I asked myself once. I was thinking. I was like, well, if I wasn't, if I had no beliefs in how the end times would play, if I had no beliefs in the prophecy of the Bible, okay, what would I think? And I don't trust humans to fix anything like this. I think if I would, if I had no faith in God, I still wouldn't believe that humanity could turn anything around as far as climate change. So then, when I think about you know something about concerning the end times, or I'm not any kind of a uh, revelation scholar or, or a mm-hmm. apocalyptic literature scholar. I've read it as a layman. Um, but when I think about that, it seems to me that a, um, that this would make sense as far as some kind of end of the world, the way God's going to wrap it all up. Exactly. So this isn't even necessarily an American problem, but when I think of the threats to America, I think of compounding threats. So when I think of extremism, uh, bigger divisions, and then we have, uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Gradually difficult disasters right. and cataclysms. So I'm yeah. not imagining, you know, one earthquake All of that sudden, blows up Yellowstone and then half the country's gone and missed. Mm-hmm. I mean that it just progressively gets worse. We have more and more fires. We can grow less and less things easily. Uh, people in worse living conditions as either water levels rise, floods happen more So often. famine spread. Exactly. And yeah. then it just gets more and more and more pressure. And if it's felt worldwide, like it, you know, obviously would be were it to happen, then this affects our whole globalized, you know, culture. So this is the definitely the more politically. There's more people who would who would balk at what I'm talking saying now than the other one, and that's fine. This is to my personal view of threats. This this one is the the big one. So what? How do you feel about the fact that 15 years ago they said we got 15 years? Now they're saying we got 15 years. Is that because information is being gained as we go? Or they're trying to be optimistic. I think. Or there's you know, a, what's what's up with that? To me, uh, there's a lot of rhetoric involved in in reporting science, mm-hmm. right? So in how you report, even a lot of COVID information, there's so much rhetoric involved. So there was uh, we read. I shared an article with you uh, months ago now that was saying we could be out of the pandemic in May, in June, and the guy was basically right. We're nearly there through yeah. vaccines, and he said. Um, I've been told by my colleagues in the, cause he was, he's a, I forget his exact field, but he's in um, professional medical science as a spokesman. He, he's in that world. And he said, colleagues and, and other professionals in his field said, you can't say this cause people are going to take it easy. They're oh, they'll relax their, their efforts. They'll stop wearing their masks. They'll stop mm-hmm. social distancing. So they are always debating how much to tell you or what to tell you so that you will or will not take things seriously. It's And, and it's my least favorite part of the whole game. It's them babying the populace. You can understand that, though. I mean, I can. The, the line in Men in Black, hey, why don't you just tell them people are smart? No, <laughs> right. persons are smart. People are stupid. Right. But I think, uh, I think that's not their call to make. Because, again, in, in the American ideal of it is you tell just us. do it anyway. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But I think that's what that is. When they when they change the date, I see. I think they might not want to say they're trying to motivate us to take action. Right. And science is improving all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, projections of what you know, we have more data all the time on what might uh, the future of uh, of weather conditions might look like. And honestly, I don't know. I'm a layman in all of this anyways. So that's interesting. Um this is not something I spend almost any time thinking about. Yeah. And well, and I wonder if it, I don't know if it's because of my faith in particular, but this is not something that gives me, you don't lose sleep. I don't lose sleep about it. No, uh, uh, a local, you know, there's supposed to be the great Washington earthquake that we're due. We were were overdue for that one gives me some pause just because it is so specific to our region. Mm -hmm. But in general, uh, I think, 
I sound so more. I really hate talking about because I, I I don't want to come across as like Eeyore or something. But mm-hmm. if we know the world the world's going to end eventually, anyways, and there will be a new one, it'll be a gr- it'll be a great and terrible day. There'll be a lot going on that day. If we know it's going to happen eventually, this is how I see it happening. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and forgive me if I sounded kind of uh, no, you know, not at all. Like I was on a soapbox in the corner saying the the end is near. Well, I appreciate kind of that you have a that you have a concern for this and a and a belief that it is a very real threat. While you also are very patient with people who might think differently and you're not um, emotionally hijacked if people disagree with you. Yeah. And I wish we could do that more. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. My last concern is really the state of Christianity in our country. Um, I, I think consumer Christianity has owned us for so long. Mm. Um, I love tons of fresh new expressions of worship, for example. And yet there's lots of worship music that's just about me, me, me. God, I, I love how much you love me, me, me. <laughs> sure. And um, so consumer Christianity is not going to go away. Um, people are uh, People's attendance patterns and the way they engage their faith has changed dramatically through COVID. It'll never be the same. That also will be leveraged uh, by God. Yeah. Um, the thing about the church is it seems to be incredibly fragile and yet it's also indestructible. Mm. No political system in the world has been able to eliminate it. Uh, God will flourish his church. So I'm not concerned like that. Like, oh, no, Christianity is going to become extinct. I don't have that concern. I have concern that God is up to something supernatural in our country, but his church is not ready for it. Hmm. So we don't have the willingness to sacrifice, and we don't have the strength and uh, tenacity to suffer. And so here's this golden kingdom of God opportunity and season in our country, and the Christians aren't ready for it. So uh, we may miss something great, or uh, God may bring it anyway through a path of sacrifice and suffering that we're not really ready to endure. Yeah. I don't know about all that. I just know that I'm very um, uncomfortable with the state of Christianity in America. Yeah, and I wonder, we talked a lot about this in the beginning of COVID, it's probably been a minute since we touched on it now, but the, um, the opportunity was so great. And there was a lot of optimism kind of in the beginning yeah. where, what if this could be the uh, revival moment? Exactly. What we really need to, to kind of slap in the face kind of thing, smack mm-hmm. in the side of the head. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't really manifest like that publicly. Uh, but I wonder, I, I'm always curious how many of the success stories of Christianity could be published in a article, but, or how many of them are just too subtle for that yeah you know how many of the victories could do people even know about you know that's interesting i don't know what do you think we're we haven't really you know dove deep on how to solve these problems yeah the that one in particular i have a question how is that a great threat to america i believe it is but i just want to i just want to hear how you feel because a great threat to the faith for sure but but to america specifically well uh one simple way is this and we're already there. If you have a a country who's, if you have a people group whose ethics and whose morality and whose understanding of morality, um, whose social construct has at its core <clears throat> a monotheistic belief. Okay. There is a God, mm-hmm. uh, whether the, whether that you think he's Jewish, Muslim or Christian, there's a God. Mm-hmm. So then there's this like true north. There's something by which we can calibrate 
how right or wrong something might be. In general, people believe you could be true or false. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, when you take away any fixed sense of divine oversight, then anybody could be any true or false. Anybody could be right. Anybody could be wrong. Every man does what is right in his own eyes and wisdom is thrown out and trampled in the street. Totally. So that's the biggest threat is uh, the degradation of any uh, critical mass of people who have a God idea that helps govern their decision-making. Yeah. So that would be it. I, I do have one piece of advice for, because uh, I was thinking, how do we fight this totalitarian thing, this this extremism? Yeah, and the, and the speech freedom. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think don't give in, don't participate, and don't tolerate it. So, for example, if you're sitting in a room, any room, at work, in a social environment, any room, and the presentation begins to be in the tone of, uh, these people are not allowed to speak. This is the way you must believe. Uh, I'd get up and walk out. Like, don't tolerate it. Wow. Don't participate in it. Don't run from it. Like, don't give in to it. If you have a deeply held belief, say it, even though um, people think you shouldn't. Yeah. I don't mean use your work time to pro- to proselytize your coworkers. Sure. I just mean don't keep your mouth shut. Don't give in. Don't be controlled by the social threat of having an unpopular opinion. Yeah. Or give into an environment where people are saying, as a matter of fact, you're not allowed to have that opinion. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary to think about how much more common those scenarios might come up yeah. as, as time goes on. Yeah. Cause you know, and that's my kind of question on the loud minority or the majority is are the people who are, is the pressure coming from people only on Twitter? Like when I, when I go through my neighborhood, when I go to work, am I, am I really interacting with those people mm-hmm. who feel that kind of, uh, um, that, 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 that kind of censorship would be, would be appropriate. Yeah. You know, it's, it it's feels hard. like the wackos or somehow we let the wackos run the place. Right. <laughs> How did that happen? That the rational, negotiable, collaborating majority suddenly handed everything to the wackos. I don't know. I that's what it feels like to it me. It does feel like that to me too. That's that's the frustration. And I think if I were to have some kind of takeaway from this conversation, which is more uh maybe more akin to venting or something, I don't know. But uh I would say that it's great to have this conversation for me with more frustration than fear. To be I would know, agree with that. To have the, Really, that the more I think about it, it's like one of the greatest gifts of of our faith is the peace of mind. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing to almost as like a thought exercise as I go through it. It's like, well, how would this? What would be a threat to this republic? Which I love, which I love to live here. Um, but there's no fear involved necessarily. Um, it's just I, it's a great point yeah. because it, and that's because we trust in the sovereignty of God. Exactly. No human efforts are going to be able to stop God's story unfolding at the pace he wants it unfolded. Yeah. So we do rest in that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, listen, man, this has been a fun conversation. We'd love to hear back from you. If you have thoughts about any of these uh, other threats you wish we'd have included, love to hear that. You can email us at info at Jim and You can go to our Instagram, Jim and John. Yep. At Jim and John and never H in the, in the John. Yep. And then you can go to our uh, biography Click that yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. Go on our biography. There'll be a, a, a link, link tree 
and that'll take you to all the stuff that we can provide. Everywhere you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for listening. Um, We love our country. We believe in our God and his supreme rule. There's no reason to be afraid. So please don't let any increased anxiety or fear come out of this conversation because that was not our design to, hey, you should be afraid. If you're not afraid, you better be afraid. (laughs) For sure. Uh, But let's let's do our best. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you next week for 111. Thank you.